Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm Kyle. And I'm Caroline. Hey, Caroline. I got some facts for you this time. Go ahead. All right. We're not just bullshit. No, we not. are a podcast of facts. Yes, we're not BSing around this intro anymore. And furry creatures. We spared our listeners of our typical intros last episode as a little experiment, but this time we're going to go straight in with hard facts. Do it. Did you know that Austin is the number one no-kill city in America? I didn't until... Austin Pets Alive interview. Yeah. I didn't know that. For people that don't know what no kill city means, it means that the shelters in that city, the animal shelters in that city, do not euthanize any of their pets. Or they, I think the actual definition is they have to euthanize 10% or less of their total pets within the city itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a coordinate, it's this huge effort between animal shelters and Austin Pets Alive, our guest today, or Dr. Ellen Jefferson, the, the woman behind it. They are the biggest pushers in the city of Austin to saving all the pets out there. And also, too, I'm going to get pretty deep here, but pets, they're only around for such a short amount of time, and they need all the extra support that they can get mm-hmm. because they're they're pretty helpless once they're in that shelter. They're not controlled by themselves. They lose that control, so they really need somebody's back. Mm-hmm. These um, the volunteers and basically the whole entire city of Austin is so supportive of this no kill idea and giving another chance to all these furry loved ones. Yeah, that should be loved. Like you said, like their time here is so short, it's not worth it making it any shorter. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Doctor Ellen Jefferson and her team at Austin Pets Alive are doing. It's a fantastic episode. We could talk for hours about this, but. We'll have her do all the talking because she she's a woman with, behind everything. If it wasn't for her, Austin wouldn't be this highly ranked. Uh, what we like to usually begin with is uh, typically where it all began. And I understand that this is with us today, Dr. Ellen Jefferson. She is the founder and the director. Is that your title? Yeah. Uh, I am the executive director, and I am not the founder of Austin. Oh, you are. Oh, you were. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Okay. No, it started in '98, and um, I became the executive director in 2008. Okay, because on the website, I saw 2008 as the uh, that was the established date. No, nope. okay. That's when we started rescuing animals. The organization was doing advocacy and political stuff before. Okay, oh. so that was like the next phase of the company mm-hmm. or the uh, nonprofit in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just <laughs> can you describe to us what APA Austin Pets Alive does? Sure, uh, Austin Pets Alive is a nonprofit. When we started back in 1998. The goal was to make Austin a no-kill city, the organization was, and they did that by working with city council, trying to get some changes made at the city shelter to get more animals out alive. And they made a pretty big impact. It was supposed to be a no-kill millennium. Um, and from 1998 to 2001, the death rate went from 85% to 55%. Wow. So pretty big chunk <laughs> wow. a decrease, yeah. and that was before no-kill was was kind of talked about mainstream. So that that's pretty progressive. But then from 2002 to 2007, the organization was was doing a, a little bit of, uh, it kind of um, decreased in its urgency and kind of its mission because mm-hmm. the millennium passed and they weren't at no-kill yet. And so when I got involved in 2008, the idea was to resurface the no-kill um, philosophy and no-kill movement and and this time actually start taking animals out of the shelter and trying to find live outcomes for them. Mm-hmm. Because there's only so much pressure you can put on the system to make the city do it. Mm-hmm. And if the city can't do it, then at some point, nonprofits have to mm-hmm. step in and help get the animals out. 
Alive. Mm -hmm. So Austin Pets Alive's purpose was to be to make Austin a no-kill city. And the way we accomplished that was by looking at the data of the animals that were in the shelter. So we didn't have a lot of data when we first started. Uh, and so the, the easiest way to determine what was happening and, and trying to put together data was by looking at the animals that were scheduled to die. So we couldn't save the ones that it's were like already dead. Death row in that way. That... It is. And so it, generally we had an hour or two yes. before they were gone to make decisions and see if we could find foster homes for them. And we didn't have a building. We didn't have any funds or any staff. And so it was all volunteer effort. And we tried to get the community involved to help open up their homes. And, you know, can you take this puppy for two weeks to save its life? And so we were able to develop a really huge foster program that way. And over time, we were able to see that there were certain there, there were animals that needed just a little bit more time. Um, back then, they only got three days before they, the end of the line. So wow. that wasn't a lot of time, even for yeah. a really adoptable Aww. animal. Yeah. And so we we recognized the foster homes were really instrumental for that because you got more time, you got more marketing. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other thing we figured out is that there were whole groups of animals that never left the shelter alive. And it was because they had something that needed to be done to them to make them adoptable. Oh. And so they weren't readily adoptable at that time. And so that that's what Austin Pets Alive's specialty is, is if you will, is trying to, not trying to, we developed programs so that there's infrastructure in our community now where those animals have a safety net. And so they can come to our bottle baby kitten nursery to be bottle fed until they're old enough for adoption. That saves 1,200 to 2,000 kittens a year. There's um, our Parvo Ward, which is for puppies with parvovirus or puppies that might have parvovirus, those are also at risk because it's What's contagious. Parvovirus? It's a really bad virus that causes their intestines to slough and um, like cause bloody diarrhea and bloody vomiting and really bad. It kills them if they're not treated. And I've never even heard this before. I just thought yeah. heartworms like were the biggest thing. No, parvo's pretty. There's there's pretty it's, bad diseases out there. That's intense. Yeah, and so we we made a parvo ward, and um, now all the parvo puppies are safe, have a place to go for treatment. We are able to save ninety percent of them 100% can leave the city shelter alive and 90% survive the disease with treatment. So programs like that, uh, we have a ringworm program for cats where they it's like athlete's foot. It's no big deal. Cats don't even know they have it, but it is contagious. So they're not safe in a shelter environment. And then we have a clinic that sees emergencies all day, every day, so we can save any injured or ill animals that are coming into the shelter. And the last big program are dog, big dogs with behavior issues. Mm -hmm. And those dogs um, typically... You know, it takes it takes so much, so many resources to help them um, because it takes more time. Like mm -hmm. medical treatment takes a day or two or a mm -hmm. week. It's pretty finite. With behavior, you're really trying to you know you have to have that repetition. You have to mm -hmm. work with them every day. It depending on what their issue is, it can take a week. It can take six months. Mm -hmm. So um, so we have a really big behavior program now for that too. So so that's what we do. That's a lot of things you <laughs> do. Is, yeah. Great. Do you sleep? <laughs> we have a lot of wonderful people in our group that yeah. help lots of volunteers and lots of staff. It seems like a very big organization and uh, just it blows my mind that like, you do all that stuff. At first I didn't know that, that there was like such thing as a no kill. So, like, I didn't know mm -hmm. that I didn't even know that like that the euthanize that many pets at yeah. mm -hmm. all like yeah. That's a crazy 85%. Mm -hmm. When that I is... first moved here in 98, it was 85%. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a lot of effort you put forward. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting because now because these programs are in place and those groups of animals always have a place to go, There mm. is we're the largest no-kill city in the country, and oh, wow. we have one of the highest save rates in the country. Um, wow. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, pretty exciting. I was... Uh, 
uh, you know, that's the thing that it just is the most exciting about this whole project is that it had a beginning and a vision and then it came true. And it's like, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the way. That. Yeah. And like everybody has a dog here too. Yeah. Like that's why I got a dog because <laughs> my apartment complex, everyone had a dog mm-hmm. and I was like, I want a dog. And Austin is so pet friendly too. Like yeah. you can take your pet like to a lot of restaurants, like outdoor restaurants. There's like a lot of outdoor activities, the lake and everything yeah. for them. Yeah. It's like a great place. Yeah. And and that was, I think, what was so surprising to me was that Austin was not no-kill when I moved mm-hmm. here because I moved here because it was so pet-friendly. Oh. And we were pet-friendly in the community, but if they got to the shelter, mm-hmm. we weren't very pet-friendly. How many volunteers do you have? Whenever I come here, the parking lot's full or mm-hmm. people are taking <laughs> out dogs. It's- yeah, we have a really great um, volunteer system. Most of the animals that live here, because our foster pro is one of the biggest in the country, and so most of our animals are actually in foster homes. And the ones that live here are the ones that fit into those programs that I was talking about. Okay. And so the big dogs are the ones that are typically being walked and they have a contingent of volunteers that help them with enrichment. Sometimes those dogs can be here as long as a year. Mm-hmm. And so that's it's so so important for them to get it cared for by multiple people um, so that they don't lose their minds living here. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, so we have a we have about 1800 active volunteers. How do you coordinate all of them? <laughs> well, we have we we have this last year we were able to hire a volunteer coordinator and oh, okay. so she does that. <laughs> there um, we go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's really it's it's been a growing program and we've had volunteer volunteer coordinators in the past but um, we just got to a point where we really needed some on staff help. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get in, how did you get involved and like worked your way up to be the executive director or was the process like how did did you start as like a volunteer did you just like come and say I got better ideas let's do this <laughs> like what was the uh, what uh, was it? well so it's it uh, the reason that there's confusion about the founding is that w- we really changed direction in 2008 and um, I was when I moved here, I was a volunteer at the city shelter and was just a private practitioner. And I didn't know that so many animals were dying until I witnessed it. And then that sent me down a path of trying to stop the problem of overpopulation with spay and neuter. And so I started Emancipate Spay and Neuter Clinic. And then after about nine years of that, Um, that's when this whole no-kill thing was starting to be talked about nationally again. And so in 2007, I just was thinking, well, I've been trying to spay and neuter all these animals. The shelter still is having to euthanize or kill 55%. And so there's got to be a better way. And so maybe we just need to save them. Mm -hmm. One thing that I like that somebody has said that I keep repeating is that if you want to stop the killing, you have to actually stop the killing. And so that's really what Austin Pets Alive is about. When I got involved, we were really small. We were maybe 10 volunteers and no, like oh. I said, no staff. Oh, wow. So you grew a lot. Yeah. And yeah. so, and they were looking for an executive director, volunteer executive director. Oh. So I said, hey, why don't we, you know, let's use Austin Pets Alive the way that it's been, you know, what it, what it stands for and what the movement was in around the year 2000. Let's just resurrect it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of stepped in as executive director, but I was a volunteer for the first two years. That's an enormous vision, though, because... Like you said, you have, no, you have no background in business or nonprofits. No, like, but but I ran, there, I yeah, guess. I ran the spay neuter clinic for nine years. Yeah, um, so you were used to like you knew I like, had to run something. Like, yeah. yeah, and it was a nonprofit, so oh, it was, was okay, so mm-hmm. that was my but you first didn't have, like, a yeah. degree or anything like that. Mm-mm, yeah, mm-mm. no, but it's it, uh, it. You know, I think that the thing about the we've grown a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. but where it, it it just grew 
incrementally. So we never, we didn't start out with, well, we can't save one animal until we have a million dollars in the bank. You know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't do that. We were just like, well, what can we save with no resources? <laughs> what, yeah. Who can help us? Who can lend some elbow grease to this cause? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why it got the community engaged because there's lots of people who care about animals. And I'm certainly not the only one. I mean, I, 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 I like to say I was just dumb enough to be the leader, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many people who care about this issue and really just wanted, wanted a ship to get on. Mm-hmm. So and that's what Austin Pets. So that Austin is like the leader of uh, being in No Kill City. Mm-hmm. Do other like nonprofits in different cities like come to you up yes. saying, "Hey, can you give us like a rule book or like a three ring binder on how to do this? <laughs> yes. Need some help." Okay. Yes, it happens What's, all the time. What are some of the biggest cities that have come here? Um, we've we've talked. I mean, we've probably talked to almost every city. I mean, it is crazy mm-hmm. how many people ca- want this to happen in their own community, and they don't really know where to start. And we we actually had so many inquiries that we had to create a program for dealing with that, which is called American Pets Alive. And mm-hmm. the idea is to uh, it's a conference once a year, so that we can just sort of consolidate and spend all of our effort in one weekend trying to teach as many people as possible instead of every week trying to take time out of our manager's schedules and you know call people Mm -hmm. on the phone it's so much more efficient and then this last year we got a grant from maddie's fund actually just this last month where we're starting a training academy Mm -hmm. program here and people can come and intern with us for a while and get certified in our programs so that's that's super uh-huh. exciting. Yeah. yeah, because I remember back in Louisiana, like one of my friends, I told her, yeah, Austin Pets Alive. I, Austin's a no-kill city. And she's like, what? <laughs> there's like, there's cities that are no-kill cities. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. it's pretty It's pretty a new concept. I mean, it's so sad that it's a new concept because the programs that we created were were spinoffs of other industries programs. They just didn't exist in animal shelters. So like mm-hmm. our Parvo ward huh. exists in veterinary hospitals all over the country, but no shelters ever did it. Mm-hmm. And because they were so scared of the disease spread, but veterinary hospitals never spread the disease to their clients' pets. So mm-hmm. there's a way to do it. Yeah. And we just copied it. And the same with the kitten nursery. Shelters never had a nursery for kittens. They were just all instantly killed because they're too hard to keep alive. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever comes forward for little tiny baby kittens because they're not available for adoption because they're too little. They have to be spayed and neutered before they can get adopted, which means they have to be eight weeks old. So everything under eight weeks is at risk Mm -hmm. because there's nowhere for them to go. So the nursery concept came from a wildlife center because wildlife centers don't don't kill at intake. They just Mm. feed them and set up a little nursery. So we just copied it. I think we got our dog from the ASP... SPCA as an ASP SPCA mm-hmm. yeah did the, they do that they, well no there's so um so this so the shelter industry this is probably way more information than you want but the shelter industry mm-hmm. is really old like hundred hundred years old and there's two types of businesses that exist in animal sheltering one is the municipal shelter who's responsible for just taking anything and everything that comes to them they have to pick mm-hmm. up animals off the street and they take in from the public and that and they can't really close their doors they're not allowed to say no we're full mm-hmm. that's how the killing began uh, okay is because so it's they got side full effect to that. Yes. It is, it's like a side effect of trying to be nice Right, just not enough up, room. Yeah, exactly. Their and their job is public safety. Like mm. that's that's yeah. it. Animals come second. People yeah. come first. Over time, that's become more animal friendly, and now mm. they do a lot of adoptions. And and this is every city. It's not Austin specific. Mm-hmm. And then the other business model is the Humane Society or Rescue Group type model or, or SBCA. And the the business model has been take um, 
high turnover, low overhead animals into your program and get them adopted out. So take what you know people want to adopt and take the ones that are healthy so that Mm -hmm. they can get adopted quickly. Mm -hmm. And so those groups um, served a niche to save a lot of animals. But what happened is there's all these others that are left to die at Mm -hmm. the city shelters. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're tackling and that's our business model is kind of the opposite of all of that we're taking the hardest Mm -hmm. most expensive longest day animals and just make like that just is is irrelevant it's different here most shelters that actually on both sides they they try to have a a good inventory of animals because they want people when they come to visit to be able to find what they want and we don't care the the, every cage here is a life-saving cage and so it doesn't matter if we've got 10 black dogs the 11th black dog is going in there because Mm -hmm. that animal needs space to live Mm -hmm. and so it's different and and people can feel it they just don't know why we're different and so we're trying to kind of create an institution around what we're doing because it because the old entrenched ways of sheltering kind of make it difficult for anybody to start and start doing what we're doing in another city because they have to fight against the status quo. Uh, you have like a bunch of programs going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I guess do you have like a pretty big board that means for like serving all these different programs you do or how do you structure the company? We have, um, we, or we, guess, yeah, we, we're set up with tons of volunteer help. And, um, and like I said, I was a volunteer for the first two years. We had almost all volunteers for several years and then slowly started adding staff wherever we felt like we couldn't get enough volunteer support. Um, So things like adoption, counseling, it's hard for somebody to be here 12 hours a day and talk to the public all day. So those were areas that we knew we had to have consistency and presence. So those got staffed pretty quickly. And over time, we've just been filling positions that way. So now we're actually quite large. We have 100 staff people and 1,800 volunteers. And Yeah, that's huge. and all in all, it's bigger than my, the company I used to work for, which is like 200 people at the most when I started working there. Yeah, it's yeah. big. It's wow. really big. And when we identified, we worked through an org chart and identified all the positions, and we have about 360 positions that are unpaid and paid people. So it's just lots of people doing lots and lots of work. There's, If it was just staff, there's no way we'd be mm-hmm. so outnumbered by the animals. We could not do what we do. And the nice thing about like working like on something like this is that the people that volunteer that have a passion for what they're doing, like mm-hmm. they aren't just going here as they need a job. They come here because they want to help. Yeah. Like they're doing us all their free time and everything. Yep. Uh, how do you like uh, come and volunteer? Like there's a training you need to go through? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have an orientation and then there's generally training depending on like if you wanted to go uh, volunteer in the nursery then they they have to go through a training class for the nursery and then a um, some shadowing sessions and then you can actually feed on your own so it's it's stair step because we don't have a lot of just um, easy shelter programs we don't have we don't have just like a puppy area with healthy puppies mm-hmm. because those are all in foster or adopted immediately you know they just don't exist in our programs and so we have sick puppies and we have um, mangy puppies and we have <laughs> dog big dogs but we don't don't have just like a place where you could just waltz in the door with no training and go hang out you know this is not a pet store (laughs) no so everything takes a little effort but it's so worth it and um parvo program is an is a great place to volunteer because the puppies nine out of ten make it and it's heartbreaking when the one doesn't but it's um but you're truly saving a life and the volunteers do all the treatment and everything it's i bet yeah i bet that's really rewarding Mm -hmm. seeing the like different dogs getting um either in like a foster home or getting adopted too yes yes so. big time the the adoption is just so awesome 
Yeah. Foster wise, how do you uh, register to become a foster? Um, that's an online application. And then we have a foster volunteer team that does screening of applicants and gets you oriented. And then you can pick up pets. So right. depending on what fits with your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you are more of a indoorsy person. You can get, can you like take a, a foster cat or something? Yeah, tiny yeah. dog. Or a tiny dog. Yeah. A tiny dog too, yeah. 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 Not a nugget. But I feel like you're more of an outdoors person. You could get some more like retrievers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. More yep. Active more active nice. dogs, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. My my cousin did foster dogs for a while and she just loved every single moment of it. Yeah. It seems like something that I'd do too, but just out of the floor space for it. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's super rewarding because you know that that animal is alive because you opened up your house to it. You know, Aww. like that's, oh, oh, makes your yeah. heart feel really yeah. big. <laughs> yeah, just like that's how things are done. Like you can't do it by yourself. Like if you were to do all this by yourself, that would be impossible. No, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's so many people helping. We've got so many great staff and volunteers and fosters, just people who give a hundred and plus percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, if somebody was really passionate, not just, like, about dogs, but about any sort of thing, like, what what advice would you give to them? I Because it's kind of, like, a big question to ask, but, yeah. but where do you even begin? I would say try to figure out how to help it. I mean, you know, there's... There, you don't have to do it all for free. I think that there are ways to get involved and um, either take a job in that industry or do it in your off time as a volunteer. Mm. Um, just try to try to get your hands on it because the more you know about it, my evolution from veterinarian to spay neuter to to no kill mm-hmm. has been just that. I mean, it's an evolution, and I didn't know right at the beginning mm. how to help the most, and it's just over time that you learn and you assimilate, and you're like, okay, well, this this isn't doing what I thought it was going to do, so I'm going to try this, and you just keep trying, and mm-hmm. eventually you get there. Yeah. We're two yeah. young 20-something people, so we ask, we ask that question every day, like, how do you get to that point? Where <laughs> yeah, because so. we talk to people, and we're just like, wow, how did they get there? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I want to be like that. <laughs> So yeah, it's probably evolution of the process. Yeah. Yep, it's just um, and and keeping your eye on the prize. You know, you, you there's so many things. It almost feels like the the world is made up of obstacles on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like they're mm-hmm. trying to distract you and trying to prevent you from getting to your goal. Mm-hmm. But if you can keep your your eye on it and you can keep just a laser like focus on it, then you're you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of work. I have a friend who says obstacles are the way. Like if you actually want to get where you're going, mm-hmm. it, it's not. It wouldn't be easier. Everybody would already this, be there. This Definitely. Is the we actually interviewed a guy who owns a, a parkour gym here, and parkour is all about using the obstacles, obstacles. to your advantage. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. And, yeah. it, and once you kind that's of frame your thinking around, okay, well, this is just part of the deal. This is part of the game. Like you, you get you if you can get over this obstacle, then you get closer mm-hmm. to your goal. And for a while, I kept thinking of it like, well, if I hit an obstacle, I'm just going to go around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you just have to start going over right. them, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and through them. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure you had you always say you had to get to go through a lot of obstacles to get to this point now to get to 1,800 volunteers. So what's the uh, future of APA? Like, what do you have in plan? Like, what do you have in store for? Well, we have some obstacles to get over. One is to um, be part of this master plan for this whole park that we're on right now. And that's supposed to be voted on in September by city council. So our hope is that we are part of it, which we think we are. And then we have to get a long-term license agreement to use the land for 25 to 50 years so that we can build 
build a new shelter. Oh. So all of that is tremendous. That sounds really easy, but it's a lot of work <laughs> to get those three things done. <laughs> we also struggle with, now that we've gotten to a point where we've we've been successful, which is awesome, people think that where we we get money from the government or we get money from God or Actually, someplace. I was going to ask you if there's any government <laughs> grants. Like, yeah. <laughs> And so we have to do um, fundraising and we need to, you know, we need people to be aware of that mm. we're doing all this amazing stuff because everybody wants us to and we want to and the animals, of course, want us to. But it, it, the animals don't just go away once you save them. There's another one the next day and another one the next day and another one the next day. And so we have to keep working. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, it's the same work over and over and over and over and over. So I guess uh, for donation-wise, I know there's a website I donated through the website. Yeah, I think on Fridays I donated. Oh, good, yeah. good. Yeah, it was on payday, so yeah, Friday. Awesome, yeah, thank you. I donated you. on Friday, and I know you could do a website, but you also do a bunch of our fundraising. Mm-hmm. Is there like a fundraising calendar you go to online? Or? There is an events calendar. I think it's on the Get Involved tab on our mm-hmm. website, and we're also starting an annual fund to just help elucidate where money goes. So if you donate, then, you know, let's say you care about cats, then you can see how much it costs to run the ringworm mm. program or the bottle baby program. And you can earmark your money for those programs so that you can be part of the solution ongoing. It's not just solved, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So we're, so those are some of the things that we struggle with, but we're, you know, just keep trying to find solutions. We also like to ask if you were a superhuman, or like a, if, yeah. A superhero, some superhero, because you're already a superhero. <laughs> yeah. What would be your superhero name? <laughs> oh gosh, I've never even thought of that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, what would your, question yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah, everybody stumbles. They yeah. don't expect it because we're we're talking about something serious, and then all of a sudden I'm like, "What's your superhero name?" <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, underdog. Underdog. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Good, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's adorable. <laughs> Underdog, he was one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> also, a uh, slightly more lighthearted question. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a debate with one of my friends about what would be a cute name for a corgi. <laughs> yeah. He said pancake. I said bubbles. Which one do you think is cuter? I think they're both really cute. <laughs> it's going to help. I see you're the ultimate authority in the subject. <laughs> because you do the- I like pancake. But- uh, yeah, so. pancake's pretty cute. Okay. Ryan, I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> I have a horse named Bubbles, so uh, I a horse. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't so think of a big horse named Bubbles. That is cute. Yeah, she came with it, but it is a really cute name, Bubbles. <laughs> so I guess since we're wrapping up here, the final places to go to like, go and like volunteering and uh, donate, mm-hmm. uh, just the website mostly. Yeah, yeah, um, we are always wanting volunteers um even though we have a lot of volunteers there's a lot of turnover so um we always need to have people coming in because there's people that are moving or getting too busy with work or adopt and want to spend their time with their pet at home so um we always need more volunteers coming in and then fosters we live off of donated supplies there's no way that we could do this work if we didn't have donated food and um treats and cat litter and you know cat trees everything that that animals need the supplies we need donated Clorox I mean the list goes on and on and on so and then our actual funds too Mm -hmm. so we need we need all of that and adopters so Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. a long list of needs (laughs) stick at the website and uh definitely we'll try to retweet and share a lot of the things you do on Facebook Mm -hmm. we try to keep up with with all of our guests and organizations and share their stuff on our Facebook page which Mm -hmm. actually Kind of turns a Facebook page into like a basically a giant marketing it's platform. <laughs> it's a promotional board awesome. for all nonprofits. We joke Sweet. around that we're that we are a uh, social media company that so happens to have a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just some social media work. <laughs> 
It's a bird. It's a plane. No, no it's, it's super, super sidekicks. Hi, my name is Sammy Curlis. I have been volunteering with Austin Pets Alive APA since April of 2016. I got involved because uh, I found myself needing to find my place in Austin. And since I wasn't working, I needed to find that challenge during the day. And I decided to walk dogs. I'm a cat person. And so dogs are something that's completely new and was a little foreign to me. And so I thought, well, why not big dogs? Let's go just full on for the challenge. And really what that's what that's brought to me in just this short amount of time is that now I have a, a big place in my heart for dogs. Um, I can't go a week really without seeing the dogs or being there at APA, um, trying to help as I can. Um, in addition, it's given me a small sense of self and place in my new hometown of Austin. I enjoy going out into the community and sharing um, about the good work of Austin Pets Alive and how everybody else can get involved with the organization. Thanks. My name is Deborah Leftwich, and I have been volunteering with Austin Pets Alive's CAT program since it began. About five years ago, we started a program called the Fungus Fighters. It's a group of volunteers that go on Tuesdays and Fridays up to the Ringworm Adoption Center. And we help with the treatment of the cats that have been diagnosed with ringworm. Volunteering with the Ringworm Program has been a great experience. It um, is like a breath of fresh air for me. We are constantly being bombarded with news about bad people doing bad things. And being up at APA and in the Ringworm Center, it's totally the opposite. You get to see and experience good people doing good things. Since um, the Ringworm program began, it's saved hundreds of cats and kittens. We've been able to get them healthy and happy and help them find forever homes. And I am proud and grateful to be a part of that. And I am very proud to be a volunteer for Austin Pets Alive. Ready to save the day with Austin Pets Alive? I bet you are. So next step, grab your cape and head on over to austinpetsalive.org to learn more about how you can volunteer or donate to keep the animals of Austin alive. You can also find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Austin Pets Alive. Looking for other Austin causes to join too? You can do that by checking us out at everydaysuperhumans.com where you can stay up to date with all the news on Austin's nonprofits and read our blog for tips and tricks on making the world a better place every day. You can also follow us on Twitter at SuperhumansCast, like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash EverydaySuperhumans, and check us on Instagram at EverydaySuperhumans. Did our show help bring a smile to your face? Did it give you warm and fuzzies? Do you want to go save the world? If so, be sure to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Special thanks to Sammy Carlos and Diane Leftwich for sharing their heartfelt stories of volunteering at Austin Pets Alive on today's Super Sidekicks. And remember, not every hero has to fly, so grab your cape and let's go.
So do you want to try it? Yeah. All right. Do you want to count? Three, two, one. And, and now, now time, time for, for Super, super Sidekicks. Kicks.